Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Diego asked me recently, like, if I was around, like, when George Washington was alive or something like that. Love. Kids say the darndest things. This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Today on The Breakdown, we continue our look at some of the most competitive house races in California. We have an unusual number of races essentially rated as toss-ups, four or five of them, meaning both Democrats and Republicans are making these races a priority. And the outcome in November or even March could well have a lot to do with which party ends up controlling the House of Representatives next year. Indeed it does. And those competitive seats include two races in the Central Valley, and another in Riverside County down in the old Inland Empire. And in addition, if that weren't enough, the Kern County race to replace former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is pretty darn interesting. We're going to dig into all of that. Joining us is Joshua Yeager, who covers politics in Bakersfield and the southern San Joaquin Valley for KVPR Public Radio. Hey, Joshua. Hey, Scott. Well, let's begin by talking about that race, uh, the 22nd Congressional District. That is where Republican David Valadeo has been there. But that seat has gone back and forth. Of course, it's been redrawn. But this time, um, there could be a potential rematch between him and former Assemblyman uh, Rudy Salas, the Democrat. This is a a district that includes Kings County, Kern County, and Tulare County, parts of it. Um, So tell us, first of all, just, Joshua, give us the lay of the land down there. What, uh, What does the race look like? Yeah, well, this is an extremely purple district. Uh, it covers a lot of primarily Latino farm worker communities. And, you know, as you said, Valadeo has is the incumbent here. And it's kind of flip-flopped back and forth between Democrats and Republicans. Um, and, you know, by some estimates, this is the most Democratic-leaning seat in the country that's represented by a Republican. And certainly... Uh, Democrats are doing everything that they can to try to change that and and uh, and win the seat back uh, for Democrats. So, like you said, I mean, Biden beat Trump in this district by 13 percent in 2020. Rudy Salas, a Democratic assemblyman who's running again, trying to force a rematch against Valadeo. I think he lost by like just over 3,100 votes. So this is a seat that like Democrats can practically taste it. Right. But we are seeing a lot of hand wringing because there's two Democrat, two serious Democrats in this primary. And I think there's a concern that they could basically get edged out and just have no Democrats in the runoff uh, this fall, right? Yeah, that's certainly a concern I've heard from, uh, from you know, analysts and some uh, congressional Democratic leaders here in the state. Um, you know, they, they've tried to, like, kind of keep out of a lot of other uh, Democratic races, primary races, but this one they've really funneled a lot of money into. There's a lot of uh, political advertisements airing um, uh, locally here. And it's, it's kind of turned a little bit messy. Um, some attack ads have uh, 
you know, attracted attention, uh, negative attention from, from the candidates. There's a lot of finger pointing internally, a lot of turmoil within the party. And this isn't limited to uh, just the Democrats. Uh, it's also happening on the Republican side. There's mm -hmm. a candidate there. His name's Chris Mathis. He calls himself a, a MAGA conservative, and he's running to the right of, uh, of Valadeo. You know, Valadeo um, made headlines a couple years ago when he voted to impeach Donald Trump. He was one of a handful of Republicans to do that. And uh, I believe is just one of two um Republicans who still has a job in Washington after doing that today. So, um, you know, the, some more, the more conservative Republican faction here is, is certainly out for blood in, in some ways, mm. uh, trying to unseat uh, Valadeo and, um, you know, tr trying to turn this uh, seat into more of a um, conservative direction. I wonder, you know, a couple of years ago after Valadeo had voted for one of the articles of impeachment against uh, President Trump, um, there was, you know, some concern that Trump could try to run a more conservative challenger to knock off uh, Valadeo. And I think Kevin McCarthy kind of stepped in and kind of kept him out of that race. And I'm wondering if McCarthy's exit from the scene, at least, you know, he you know resigned from Congress. Do you think that his absence is affecting this race in any way, either in, you know, in terms of who's running now or the fundraising or the money that will get funneled into Republican candidates? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, I think, you know, the short answer is it remains to be seen. It's certainly true what you said that Kevin McCarthy uh, probably took a lot of the heat off of Valadeo during that period. But I think, you know, the other side of this is is a sort of a practical one. I mean, if if a, if a more, you know, MAGA-flavored candidate wins the Republican primary, that's going to uh, set it up really well for Democrats to perhaps have an easier chance of, of winning this seat. Because, as you said, um, you know, this is Biden country. Um, he, he won overwhelmingly here uh, in the last election. And so if it comes down to a, to a more, uh, you know, MAGA conservative type of, of Republican candidate up against a Democrat, uh, you know, the Democrats might view that as as a blessing of sorts. Well, on the other side, you have State Senator Melissa Hurtado, um, who, you know, is challenging, I think, Democrats see it as challenging Rudy Salas, this former assemblyman. And she had this sort of like wah wah tweet this weekend where her parents <laughs> actually got targeted by one of those fundraising messages from Gavin Newsom asking them to donate to Rudy Salas. I mean, to help defeat their daughter. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, but she said, you know, that nobody has actually asked her to step down from the Democratic Party. I don't know if you talked to her lately, but I just wonder, like, what are the dynamics there? It must be a little strange. Yeah, super strange. I'm I'm glad you you brought that tweet up. The want want was a, was a good uh, characterization. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's 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 messy. Like I said, it's it's just really messy. Um, you know, Hurtado I think would point out that Salas already lost this race once two years ago, and so hey, maybe um, maybe it's time for another uh, Democrat to to uh, take a bite at the apple or to you know throw their hat in the ring. Um, but Hurtado herself has not had the easiest of paths to to her seat in the Senate. I mean, she just came off of the closest race in state history to win her current seat in the legislature. And she hasn't been campaigning super actively. I mean, she's been around, but she hasn't raised cash in no. the same, hmm. uh, you know, to not nearly the same degree as, as Salas has. Yeah. Well, what about to the voters? What are you hearing that people down there care about? Is it immigration and border security? Is it the price of gas? A lot of people down there drive long distances. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, this district is is very purple, and that comes down to you know a lot of um, people here are dependent on agriculture, dependent on oil. These sort of core um, industries that the perception is they provide a lot of jobs, and so there's a lot of support for those industries here, and that's why you can have Democrats who perhaps uh, support you know more traditional Republican platforms in terms of like ag and. And, uh, and and oil. So it just, it creates a lot of um, interesting dynamics here. And, and like you said, uh, immigration is really important because this is a, a big farm worker community. There's a lot of immigrants here. And, and in fact, Valadeo and Salas are both themselves um, children of immigrants. And then just in a few words, Joshua, is abortion playing? And if so, how? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that's that's another tricky one. Uh, you know, Salas, of course, is in favor of reproductive rights, and Valadeo has struck more of a moderate position, at least compared to his Republican rival Mathis. He says he uh, is pro-life, but supports exceptions. You know, in cases of of you know incest, rape, extreme extreme situations, his words. Whereas Mathis is much more um, hardline in terms of his beliefs on that issue. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking with Joshua Yeager about some of the most competitive house races in California. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. We're talking with Joshua Yeager, who covers politics in Bakersfield and the southern San Joaquin Valley for KVPR Public Radio. And Joshua, we want to go down now to Bakersfield, a little bit further, I guess, to the south and maybe to the west. Uh, and this is Kevin McCarthy's district, or old district, I should say, the 20th Congressional District. McCarthy, of course, resigned uh, at the end of last year after being deposed as uh, speaker. And this is not you know, a seat that Democrats hope to pick up. It's a solid Republican seat. It's uh, all or parts of Fresno, Kern, Kings, and Tulare counties. But what is the dynamic down there? Because we had a very right-wing MAGA Republican who dropped out and endorsed one of the other candidates. And when I say one of the others, I mean, McCarthy had picked Assemblyman Vince Fong. So what's the dynamic now? Like, who seems to be getting momentum, if anybody? Assemblyman Vince Fong is widely seen as uh, Kevin McCarthy's handpicked successor for the seat. And by all accounts, he appears to be the frontrunner. An Emerson College poll came out a few weeks ago, showed him leading the pack. And it's worth mentioning, this is a very crowded field of candidates. Uh, I think 11, nearly a dozen are, are on that ballot. And yeah, Fong is, Fong is leading the pack. But that same poll also found that the majority of voters uh, are undecided. So... It's really interesting. I mean, it, it could go a lot of different ways. <laughs> 
So, I mean, I wonder if it matters, like in the sense that a lot of the other races we're talking about today and generally are ones that could go blue or red, right? This is not a toss up. This is a pretty solidly Republican district, arguably one of the most solid Republican districts in the state. So is there a big difference between, say, a Vincent Fong and Tulare County Sheriff Mike Boudreaux, who I think is seen as sort of maybe one of the other front runners right now? Sure. Yeah. And you know, that's a good question. And the answer is uh, no, not really. I mean, these these candidates have have really struggled to differentiate themselves based on platforms and, you know, their their and their specific uh, positions on on issues. Um, they all hold a, a very similar uh, platforms. And um, I think, yeah, to Larry County Sheriff Mike Boudreaux, he's he's seen as sort of the runner up. He's maybe tied with a Democrat. But this is this is definitely a seat where it seems very possible that two Republicans are going to end up on that uh, uh, November general election ballot. Um, it's also worth mentioning there's a special primary election in just a few weeks, uh, separate from the from the March 5th primary, and that's to determine who will replace McCarthy uh, more immediately. Yeah, there's always that confusion where you've got to finish out the rest of this term and then also run separately uh, for uh, a full two-year term. I want to ask about uh, sort of the dynamics down there in this sense. So Senator Shannon Grove, who's you know from that area, uh, she was going to run, it seemed, and then didn't. And then Fong got in at the last minute. She has now endorsed the sheriff, uh, Boudreau. David Giglio, that MAGA candidate down there, he has endorsed Mike Boudreau. But who endorses Vince Fong but Donald Trump, um, which I'm assuming is was a push from Kevin McCarthy. But, you know, how is, how is McCarthy viewed down there, do you think, having, you know, stepped aside and dropped out? Yeah, you know, it's it's controversial. I think a lot of people here um, are, you know, a little bit annoyed that he, I think the perception is that he quit and kind of left people in a little bit of a lurch uh, by choosing to resign when he did rather than uh, serve out his term. I think a lot of people here remain sympathetic to the situation that McCarthy um, was in. I don't think a lot of people here necessarily blame him for for what happened, uh, you know, in terms of, of um, uh, you know, kind of losing support of, of the House. But um, I think a lot of people do hold him responsible for choosing to to drop out. Uh, early rather than than complete his term and and more to the point, kind of not communicating clearly, at least it seems, uh, his intentions or timeline for leaving and kind of throwing the local Republican Party in a bit of a lurch here, uh, which kind of, uh, you know, led to a lot of the uh, the chaos that we're seeing now with all these candidates sort of scrambling to try to um, replace McCarthy. All right. That is Joshua Yeager covering some of the congressional races, the hotter races down in the southern part of uh, the state. He is with KVPR Radio. Thank you so much, Joshua. Thanks, Scott. All right, Marisa. So let's there's a couple of other races we want to talk about. Um, One uh, is the 13th congressional district. This is where Republican incumbent John Duarte is having a rematch with Adam Gray, the now former Democratic assemblyman. That was the very last House race called in the entire uh, country uh, back in 2022. I think, uh, you know, Gray lost by just 564 votes. So what do you think is different this time around? Yeah, I mean, we, we should say this is a pretty large district that kind of stretches from east of the Bay Area down through parts of the Central Valley. It includes Modesto, um, Tulare. And I think that... Um, This is an interesting one because 
kind of putting aside the the MAGA politics and, and the weirdness that has happened in recent years around the Republican Party, I think on a lot of policy stuff, Duarte and Gray aren't that far apart. Like they're kind of both center moderate, um, at least in the historic sense. Uh, Adam Gray was really known as a very business-friendly, moderate voice in Sacramento. He was in the legislature for many years. Um, and when Guy and I went out and actually interviewed Duarte last year, he actually had pretty nice things to say about Adam Gray, which was like interesting. Some of these races are so nasty, including within the own party, as we've been speaking about on this show. Um, but I do think that, you know, this was a very narrow victory, as you said. And I think that Adam Gray sees an opening here um, because of of just how close that race was and the fact that Duarte has really voted with the kind of MAGA wing of the House so much. But it's a little weird. Like, Gray announced his campaign in August. We were expecting a rematch. He really didn't start campaigning or raising money until this year. And so I do think that raises some questions and eyebrows. Yeah, and I think Duarte, you always expect the incumbents maybe to have an advantage in fundraising, but he's raised a lot more, like six times, I think, more money than Adam Gray had, at least in the last reporting period. But, you know, this is another one of those districts, kind of like the Valadeo seat, that on paper looks like a good one for Democrats. It's a plus 14 in terms of uh, registration on the side of Democrats. But, you know, turnout was a big problem for Democrats in 2022. And, you know, when you look at who actually voted, 57 percent of Republicans voted, 41 percent of Democrats turned out. So there was a real enthusiasm gap there. Um, what do you think, you know, Adam Gray needs to do? He's not necessarily the kind of candidate that gets people all riled up to come out and vote. No, and I don't think that in that district you necessarily need to. It is a pretty moderate purple district, like not just that it's evenly split, but I think the politics of it are fairly moderate. And so, you know, Gray says that in a presidential election year where ostensibly there's more interest, that that should bode well for him. Did we mention he I mean, he really only lost by like 500 votes. Right. So it's not a huge gap to close. And like you said, uh, registration is something like plus 14 for Democrats. I think that the question is, are Democrats excited this year? And I think that's going to depend a lot on what happens on Super Tuesday, uh, including in the U.S. Senate race. Right. Do we have an Adam Schiff Democrat versus Steve Garvey Republican runoff in that, you know, to fill the seat once held by Dianne Feinstein? Or does Katie Porter likely the Democrat who could squeak it out, do that? And does that kind of dem on dem at the top of the ticket bring people out? Because the truth is, you know, talking to pollsters, I I talked to Mark Baldessari last week, uh, PPIC just put out a poll on Friday. He was saying in general, despite how important people say this year is, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of enthusiasm on either sides of the aisle. And so, you know, that matters. Like, when we talk about groups like Latinos, like young voters who tend to break for Dems but are not sort of reliable voters in every single election. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, there there are a lot of Latinos in this district. Uh, and, you know, I think living in the Bay Area or L.A., you think of Latinos as being, you know, kind of liberal leaning or Democratic leaning. But, you know, in the Central Valley, just kind of like in Florida or Texas. The Latino voters down there are are Hispanic, as they often say, uh, are a little more moderate to conservative. Uh, Some of them are not, um, you know, necessarily liberal Democrats who are going to, you know, be, you know, in sync with some of the policies coming out of Sacramento, for example. And I think maybe, you know, somebody like Duarte might be, you know, 
be seen as a reasonable alternative to the Democratic candidate. Yeah, I would say, though, too, in my reporting, it, it I think it comes less down to, like, are you a progressive or liberal versus a more moderate? A lot of it's just like what actually affects you? What is going to drive you to vote? And if you are concerned about gas prices, you're probably not necessarily spending as much time on some of the kind of, you know, more progressive issues that might play better in an urban city. Um, you know, I just think it, it, it is a different sort of set of considerations. Um, and, you know, we see this throughout. I mean, California, for all of our blueness, is really a, a very good, like, exemplary of the entire United States. We've got a little bit of everything. We do. Well, uh, in the time remaining, I want to talk about another rematch down in the Inland Empire. And this is where the incumbent Republican, Ken Calvert, is once again being challenged by Will Rollins, uh, the Democrat who... Um, Came close, pretty close, raised a lot of money in 2022. He's he's at it again, again, raising a lot of money, especially for a non-incumbent. And, you know, this is, a again, a very large district. It goes to the west all the way to Corona and then through Palm Springs and Rancho Mirage to the east. Um, and very, very purple, very, very purple district. Um, and there were some ads that have been playing in this uh, in this race. And we want to play one from Ken Calvert, uh, which is, uh, well, well, we'll play it and then we'll come back and talk about it. The truth? Rollins was a prosecutor, the worst kind. Reducing sentences for predators, releasing violent criminals to commit more crime. Now, Rollins wants his pro-criminal agenda in Congress. That's why he's proudly bankrolled by the defund police extremists. And that's why local law enforcement endorses Ken Calvert. Yeah, so I'd like to see the PolitiFact check on that one. Uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of hot-button phrases is, in yeah, there. Uh, the, proudly bankrolled by the defund police extremists. I just wonder yeah, what exactly who that are refers they? Yeah. to. Yeah. Well, you know, Rollins was a prosecutor. Uh, he helped prosecute the January 6th uh, rioters uh, when he was there. He also was a local prosecutor for a while. And he's got an ad sort of countering that, although it's not a direct response to the ad. But, it, you know, for a district that is very purple, he talks about his family roots. The reason I'm a Democrat today is that the party my grandparents once believed in no longer stands for any of those things. Just extremism and the politics of division, which have kept Ken Calvert in office for 32 years. And I think the big question, Marisa, in this race is, is the second time around going to be the charm for Will Rollins? He wasn't very well known the first time. It's a bigger, theoretically, a bigger turnout in a presidential year. But, you know, Calvert's well known there, too. Well, and it's such an interesting tact. Like if you if you listen to that entire ad, he's really leaning in on this idea that his grandparents were Republicans, that the values that they stood for no longer exist in the party. And I think that that's a nod to this idea that this is such a purple district. He's going to need to pick up, if not just independents, but potentially some Republican voters in order to beat Calvert. And, um, you know, it just again, speaking to this idea that like it's such a different campaign, depending on what district you're in, even as these congressional campaigns do tend to sort of shift with the national political wins. Absolutely. And, you know, we should say uh, that Will Rollins is openly gay. Uh, this district includes Palm Springs and Rancho Mirage, which has a very large LGBTQ community. And he's tried to make hay of that because Calvert has a history of voting against uh, same-sex marriage and and against a lot of civil rights issues. And I think that that, like, that's an interesting question. You know, we were just talking about in other districts, will young people turn out? Will Latinos turn out? What does that look like? Is there a big LGBT vote? And and does that community sort of rally around him and help him with, you know, the things that matter? It's not just money, right? You need a ground game. you got to be plugged in. You do. And, you know, the last time around, there was a big turnout and a big margin 
for Rollins in the Palm Springs area. But what he's got to do to win this time around is get more support in the other parts of the district that are maybe a little more red or a little more purple. And, uh, you know, Calvert has also kind of shifted his position on gay rights a little bit to try to moderate that image. Um, I don't think that's fooling any of the gay voters down there. But, you know, so for folks who are not LGBTQ, but who maybe care about same-sex marriage or whatever in a, in a more positive way, you know, perhaps it'll take the edge off of that issue for them. Well, there's also, I just think, this this potential danger for Republicans. You know, just this past week, we saw this ruling on IVF um, in Alabama saying that essentially embryos are, you know, babies and that you could prosecute somebody if you don't you destroy an embryo. You destroy them. And I think that that sort of speaks to, you know, a challenge that could exist here if Democrats exploit it, which is tying the Dobbs decision and abortion rights to <laughs> what several justices have repeatedly gone back to, including recently, which is, you know, using that and other um, opinions to undercut the gay marriage decision. Um, and I do think that just in general, I mean, that's that's the a goal of a lot of Democrats up to Joe Biden is to sort of tie these freedom questions. And we've, you know, we've talked about that a lot. But I think in this race, that's one where there's an opening there. It's just like, can you kind of take voters' hands and lead them along that path and make that ultimate case? Yeah. And Republicans are trying to say, oh, you know, that thing down in Alabama, that's a state issue. It's not a federal issue. There's nothing happening here. Just keep moving, you know. Uh, but you just never know with all of these state court decisions when it's going to bubble up again and something like this, which is, you know, terrifying, I think, to a lot of couples, families, women who are having trouble getting pregnant. I mean, IVF is, you know, a real alternative, even in red states. You know, this is not there's widespread support across the political political spectrum for, you know, IVF uh, treatments. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do think that this is just where, you know, our voters paying attention. How do you kind of make those ties? And is it Does it feel realistic? I mean, you can tell that Republicans are concerned about this because I think every Republican congressional candidate we've spoken to and I've seen others say this publicly in California um, and not just congressional. Right. I mean, we've seen this with Steve Garvey, with even someone like Eric Early, very conservative. They say, well, if I got to Congress or the Senate, I wouldn't vote for a national ban. It should be up to the states, um, which really flies in the face of where they position themselves historically. So I I think that that shows that there's an acknowledgement on the right that this could be harmful in a state like California. Right. And of course, uh, you know, Calvert and I think pretty much every other Republican in California voted for Mike Johnson, the speaker, who is very, very conservative and also, you know, not in general, but also on abortion. And that is a wrap for Tuesday, February 27th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Christopher Beale. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, 
and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 